Welcome to Salem Alliance Church. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. This week's message is by Jennifer Roth. Well, good morning and happy Thanksgiving weekend to you. My name is Jennifer. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and it's great to be with you this weekend. It is Thanksgiving weekend, which uh, means, you know, it's kind of this family feel. I hope many or most of us have been together with family. If you were alone on Thanksgiving, I pray that God was present with you and Maybe you loved being alone on Thanksgiving. Maybe you don't love all the crowds. Uh, We were at Kingwood Bible Church. About 40 years, Jeff's family has met in the gym of Kingwood Bible Church for a potluck. So this year was an off year where most of the people weren't there, and we had about 40. Um, You should see the on years when all of his extended cousins and everybody are there. So that was our Thanksgiving. And because it's kind of a family weekend, I thought I'd show you some pictures of my family because I can, and it's been too long since you've seen my family. So here's um, Jeff and I. Just last week, we were up in Canada at, uh, in the Banff area, and um, this is Lake Louise. How many of you have been up to Banff or Lake Louise or this area? It's really amazingly gorgeous, isn't it? We'd never been there before, and it was cold, as you can tell, but with enough layers, we did some hiking and some sightseeing and some just resting and relaxing. This was a um, belated 20th anniversary trip for us. So that's what we were doing this last week. And, um, you know, we have been married 20 years, so the other thing we have to show for this is some kids, so you have to see pictures of them also. Um, In the gray Hope sweatshirt, this is our son Titus. Titus is 15. He's our middle son. He just finished driver's ed. How many of you suffered through driver's ed? Yeah, God bless us, everyone. It's really good and really terrible at the same time. Um, He also was in the fall production of the Westing game at Silverton High School. He's really enjoying being involved in drama. Um, Both he and his older brother, Josiah, have just started basketball, the basketball season at Silverton High School. Josiah's 17. He's a senior. So he spent the weekend filling out college applications and scholarship applications, and this is a new world for us. And then Abigail is 12. Abigail goes to a teeny tiny little school called Pratham. Any of you ever heard of Pratham? Yeah, so Silverton has these outlying farm schools that are K through 8th, or 1st through 8th as the case may be, um, and like 75 or 80 kids. So Abigail's in middle school, right? And you think about the Salem middle schools and all the hallways and lockers and classes and 700 kids, and she has 33 in her class, and the really big deal about being in middle school is that you get to chew gum on Fridays. And when you go on a field trip, you can have electronics on the bus because you are in middle school. And this mama loves that kind of middle school. (laughs) Abigail just finished up a volleyball season, is headed into a basketball season. And this is kind of what our family is in the middle of. And if we were at a Thanksgiving table, I'd then ask you, hey, show me your pictures. Uh, What's your family in the middle of? What season of life are you in? And you and I would have a conversation about that because that's part of knowing each other and being known. That's part of being in community with each other. And this church is a big place, and it can feel pretty hard to break in and to know people and to be known. But I would really encourage you, we've been in this series in 1 John that started out talking about how our joy is made complete when we're in fellowship with each other. This real faith that we've been studying, it's meant to be lived out in relationship with people, people who we know and we do life together. So if you've been around this place for a little while and you found that you just haven't really met people, you come and go from the worship services, I would really encourage you to attend Starting Point or research, find out a little bit more about our Bible studies where you get together with a smaller group of people that you could get to know them or try a community group on a weekend. But 
Lean in, so this can be a place where you are doing life with people, not just coming, hearing a sermon, worshiping, and leaving, um, because that's what real faith is about. It's about faith in the context of community and relationship. We're finishing up our series this week. Next week, we're going to launch into our Advent series as we've come into the Christmas season with Thanksgiving. My daughter has said, okay, now we can decorate, but I won't do anything before Thanksgiving. So she got it all out this weekend. I've never had my house decorated so early. Um, but we're headed into Advent. As we wrap up 1 John, we're in chapter 5 today. If you're going to want to follow along, that'll be on page uh, 1033 in the Bible that's in the pew in front of you. We're going to read some various verses from that together today. But one of the things that we've noticed as we've gone through this series, and Brian Candelo told us the very first week that this was true, is that John, when he was writing this letter, did not write with a linear train of thought. He didn't have point A and point B and point C and kind of keep them in that order. It's more like a symphony where there are themes that keep cropping up and you hear these themes over and over and over again. And you'll find that as we dive into chapter five, there are themes that we've heard before if you've been coming regularly over the last couple months. So let's look Look here at 1 John chapter 5, verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his children too. We know we love God's children if we love God and obey his commandments. Loving God means keeping his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For every child of God defeats this evil world, and we achieve this victory through our faith. And who can win this battle against the world? Only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. We're going to stop there and pause for a minute here because we've already bumped into things that we've talked about before. We remember that John was writing this letter to believers in Christ because there was false teaching going around. And the false teaching was that Jesus could not be both divine and human, that that, that wouldn't be the way the universe would work. And so there was this false teaching called Gnosticism, and he was writing to say no. We saw Jesus with our own eyes. We touched him with our own hands. We heard him with our own ears. We walked with him for three years. We know that Jesus is who he said he was. We testify to this, and he is the Christ, the son of the living God, and this belief is central to our faith. And the reality is that the false teaching of John's time was challenging that belief, but so does the false teaching of our time, doesn't it? pluralism, this idea that there are many paths that lead to God, and that really God is good, so we, we're, we're covered by his goodness, and, and really everybody can have their own expression and their own faith and their own beliefs, and really, quite frankly, we shouldn't offend others by suggesting that there's really only one way that is true, and really in the end, because God is good, it's all going to come together and it's going to be okay. It's a pervasive teaching in our world and in some areas of our church, and yet it is not true. Because the belief that Jesus is the one and the only and the divine son of the living God who lived in human form is actually what sets us apart from most of the major world religions. It's actually that core belief that gives us hope and eternal life. It's that core belief that gives us hope that our sins could possibly be forgiven. It's that core belief that sets us apart from Judaism, which believes the Old Testament but rejects Jesus as the Christ. From Islam, from Mormonism, from Jehovah's Witness. And some of you might be going, wait a second, Jennifer, I thought they were Christian. And I would just say this. Do your research. Look into what different world religions believe about the person of Jesus. Because if he is not held up as the living, divine son of God who came in human form, died on the cross for our sins, and rose again, then it is not the truth. 
It is not the way of God because real faith has to involve a belief in who Jesus said he was. I've heard it said this way. Jesus said that he was the son of God, the Messiah, the Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. That's pretty clear. And there are those who would teach that Jesus was a good man, or that Jesus was a prophet, or that he lived a good life, but here's the deal. He cannot be a good man and who he said he was without being the son of God. He's either a liar or he's a lunatic and he's not in his right mind or he's Lord. He can't be just a good man who isn't God. This is one of the central foundations of our faith and it matters. It matters that we understand it. And yet as we read on, we also find that the next central tenet of our faith is about love, that we become a child of God and everyone who loves the Father loves his children. And again, this is a recurring theme. A few chapters ago, it was about that God is love. That's who he is, that there is no fear in love because perfect love casts out fear. And one of the central tenets of our faith is the fact that we have a loving God who wants intimate, personal relationship with us. This isn't just about the information that we can gain from the words on these pages. This is about the person who inhabits these pages. This is about the person of God who we can know and have relationship with. And so as I look at the themes of 1 John, the themes of the deity of Jesus and love and obedience and sin and forgiveness and false teaching and how do we recognize false teaching? How do we recognize the deception of the enemy and have the discernment to realize what is lies and what are truths? What I see is woven together throughout all of this is that real faith requires the head and the heart. Real faith requires our intelligence applied to the truths that we are taught. And real faith requires our heart engaged, recognizing our own emotions and the emotions of the people around us. Real faith requires the head and the heart. Here's the deal. As people, we tend to be people who process our world either more from a head perspective or a heart perspective. So from a head perspective, if I'm looking at my world, and this is my natural inclination, is, is more of the thinking inclination, I'm looking for facts. I'm looking for information. I'm looking for things that I know are true, that are rational, that are reasonable, and then I'm processing those. I'm analyzing. I'm looking at logic. I'm thinking things through. This is the way that I make sense of my world, that I make decisions, that I do my job, that I lead my family, that I process my goals or my my dreams, it's, it's from this head perspective. Others of us are really more naturally inclined to start from the position of the heart. As we take in information from our world, we're noticing how things make us feel. We're noticing how our actions make other people feel. Perhaps our intuition or a gut feeling is a little bit more in play for us. When we're making decisions, we're asking, how is that going to make me feel? How is that going to impact others? How is that going to impact my relationships? We've got this um, natural inclination to more of a heart processing. Now, both of these are good. They're valued, they're important, and they are valid, and yet they're very different. And so part of the journey is recognizing, am I kind of more of a head person or more of a heart person? There's no shame or judgment in either. There's just awareness that this is true about us. We do this with our faith also. 
So if I'm the type of person that processes the world a little bit more with my head, my faith is more about scripture and study and Bible study and discussions with others about what do you think this means? How do you interpret this? Reading more books, taking a look at what other people have thought. We have more of an intellectual relationship with our faith because we tend to have this natural inclination to thinking things through. Whereas the faith of somebody who is wired from the heart is a little bit more about how do I feel God moving? How do I sense him at work in this? How do I, where do I recognize my own heart, God's heart, the heart of others in this? It's more about my emotions and my intuition and how do I feel this working? So we tend to do this then not just personally in our faith, but also in the way that we evangelize. So uh, we know that the word tells us to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks us a reason for the hope that we have. So for the person who processes from the heart, okay, my hope in Jesus is because of how I have sensed and felt his love for me. So if I'm going to tell someone else about Jesus, I want them to catch a glimpse of how he loves, of how the intimate relationship with him can transform their own life, their own self-worth, their own relationships, their own broken places. So I might be prepared to give an answer by preparing my testimony, by sharing personal times when God's love has met my heart in such a way that I have been transformed or renewed or healed in the hopes that my story might trigger in their own heart a thirst for God's love or an awareness of, wow, I have noticed God in my, in my life because I've noticed his heart. That might be how I evangelize. I, might, I would assume that the question is, does faith work? If I really believe in Jesus, does it change the way I feel? Does it change the health of my relationships? Does faith work? Does the power of God make a difference in my life and in my world? I have a friend who's a dean of spiritual formation at a university, and she says that she prays that every student who comes on that campus sometime in their four years as a student will have an encounter with the living God through his Holy Spirit because it is an encounter with the living God that captures our heart right? Let's look at evangelism, though, from this perspective that leads with the head. We might assume that the question that's being asked is, is it true? Is the Bible true? Does faith hold in light of a rational thinking point of view of the world? And so we might be looking more at um, books like Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, who does a great job of laying out his own doubts and questions about the faith and how he came through serious study to inclusion to believe the conclusion that the words of the Bible must be true and Jesus must be who he says he is. We call that apologetics, where we study God's word and able to be able to bring an intelligent and a rational answer to people who are asking the question, is it true? We might prepare to give an answer to everyone who asks by memorizing verses, by memorizing a way to talk through the gospels, you know, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we learn how to point out to somebody that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but that who, to all who believe, we, they can become children of God. And we memorize a way through for how to explain our faith. You guys, both of these are amazing ways to evangelize. But what happens sometimes is when our preference, our natural inclination for how we interact with the world and with God becomes a demand 
or a prescription of how everyone must need to receive from God. So the person who processes more in the head saying, you must know these scriptures, you must know how to tell somebody the whole gospel through these scriptures that you've memorized, you must. And, and I wonder if somebody who processes God more in the head actually meets somebody who's motivated by the heart and they're trying to answer the question, is it true? But they aren't realizing that the question that's being asked is, does it work? Will God meet my heart? And vice versa. Somebody who's sharing their testimony has never memorized, has never learned, is doing the best they can to say, God meets your heart. And the person that they're talking to is actually asking the question, but is it true? Can you show me in the scripture that you believe in the progress of what makes sense in your faith? Real faith requires that we engage with our head and with our heart. We actually even do this in our church services, don't we? So the person who leads with the heart, they love it when the pastor shares from their heart. When the pastor talks about the way that God has transformed or a personal experience, when they sense that something is real and authentic and they are hearing someone's heart, it's like, wow, yes, this is really good encouragement and teaching. And yet the person over here who leads with the head, it is not a good Sunday unless they have seen the pastor pick up their Bible and read from these words. Because we're not really in scripture if all we have is some verses up on the screen, right? We want to know that we are rooted and grounded in the faith. In the same way, look at our worship. These people who are led by the head, they love, we love those songs that just are deep and rich theology. The hymns, the creeds, the singing about what we believe, and we can stand on this. And I'm going to guess that if you're this person over here, you kind of maybe what didn't think that this morning's worship set was your favorite one. Because we had three songs about the love of Jesus and how that feels. Quite frankly, we sang, did you notice this? Heaven meets earth like an unforeseen kiss, and my heart beats violently inside of my chest. Where's that in the Bible? <laughs> but what those who are led by the head need to understand is that for some of us, the repetition of, oh, how he loves us, how he loves us, how he loves us, how he loves us, is penetrating the layers of my week and my world and my heart, it's penetrating the self-protection that I put up so that I could survive the last seven days out in this world, and I come into this place, and I am renewed, and I am refreshed by the worship taking the time to sink deeply into my soul and renew my sense of there is something that is true, that is right, that is good in the world because God loves me. See, some of us who are led by the head, we come in and we are renewed and we are refreshed by teaching that anchors us to God's truth. The problem is when we begin to judge each other and say, well, they're too cold and lifeless and they're just about information or they're too emotional and they're just about their feelings and the reality is we need both. The problem is both can be taken to the extremes and become unhealthy. So here's a person whose natural inclination is to process with the heart. And they face a crisis or a trauma or a confusion that, that takes them off over here where it's beginning to kind of get out of whack a little bit all the way over here until they are totally disconnected with their head. 
There is no sense of reality. There is no sense of truth. There is just all emotion. And, and this person over here is blown and tossed by the wind. When conflict or trouble comes, when the storm rises up, there is no anchor because all it's about is my feelings. And do I feel okay about this? And do I feel okay about that? And, and my knowledge of God is all wrapped up in whether or not I'm confused or if I'm happy or if I'm sad or if I'm grieving. And it's all about my emotions and I've become detached from the truth, from the head. And it's chaotic and it's confusing and it's messy and it's brokenness and from this place we hurt ourselves and we hurt others and we we don't carry a good name of Jesus we don't reflect the reality of who Jesus is from this chaotic emotional state the picture that I've had in my head about this is a chicken with its head cut off You've probably heard, as have I, that when a chicken gets its head cut off, it'll still run around for a number of minutes before it kind of gives up. Nerves, or I don't, I don't fully understand the science of it, but we know that it's true and that this chicken, as it runs around the yard, it can't see anything. It doesn't have any thoughts. It doesn't know where it's going. It's just going, right? And tipping over and getting up and running and scrambling. And it's that picture of a heart untethered from the head with emotions spewing out everywhere and messiness, but not really having a focus or a vision or a way forward or an anchor. And sometimes I just call it spinning. We're just spinning. I tend to be a person who is, my natural inclination is to process the world with my heart. And how do we come back to center, come back to healthy? What needs to happen when we find ourselves out here just feeling everything with no anchor? We need to bring in the truth. We need to bring in the head. We need to be reminded of what we have known in the past. There was a season in my life when I was in a significant disagreement with somebody who's really, really important to me. And the conversations were making me feel this kind of chicken with a head cut off feeling. There was hurt and pain and confusion. And am I right or are they right? And does it matter who's right? And is this the kind of thing that can just agree to disagree? Or is this the kind of thing where, no, there really only is one way forward with this. And I was in this place where my heart was really, really tied up. And God gently invited me to say, Jennifer, I want you to backtrack from what this conversation is about and where your confusion is back as far as you need to go to land on something that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt. I want to remind you of what is true. I want to remind you of what you know. I want to anchor you to something in the word of God. And interestingly enough, in this particular situation, the anchor that God brought me back to was in Ephesians 4. And it is that we should be completely humble and gentle, and patient, and bearing with one another in love. And the reason that that's interesting to me is it has nothing to do with what the conflict was about. (laughs) But the reason it was an anchor for me was because it reminded me of a truth that undoubtedly God has called me in this conversation to walk humbly, and to speak gently, and to be bearing with one another in love. And he gave me the picture of how I am to act in the midst of the life that I was in. It didn't fix the issue, but it gave me way forward. Does that make sense? My heart is still at play. My heart is still even in a difficult place, but by bringing the head in, I am anchored and I know way forward that I need to continue to carry on this conversation in a way that reflects who God is and what his heart is. On the other extreme... We can walk out here and here's a person whose natural inclination is to process things with their head and they get into stress or they get into um, 
conflict or they get somewhere where it's starting to get a little bit out of whack and it's starting to, they're starting to lean into their head a little bit more and not be quietly, quite as much in contact with their emotions or the emotions of others until they get over here where they're just completely severed from their heart and they are functioning in their head and they're stuck. In this place, we've, we find ourselves um, numb, not being able to feel at all, having pushed down our feelings so far that we really don't know what our feelings are. We find ourselves cold or frozen, cut off from others in our world, and we find that we have all this information and all this truth and all this knowledge, and yet our application of that can come across as quite defensive because we're just trying to prove our point rather than being engaged in the relationship that provides the foundation for the sharing of ideas and truth. So uh, I've got my phone with me because my picture of this head with no heart is Siri. <laughs> Lots of information programmed for certain things and yet really not connected to any sense of emotional awareness. So I'm just going to let you in on a little conversation with Siri and I, okay? Here we go. Siri, I'm feeling lonely. I don't know what that means. If you like, I can search the web for. Siri, I'm feeling low. I'm actually feeling kind of sad. You can always talk to me. Ah, oh, good. I can talk to her. Well, sometimes I can be in a crowded room and it just seems like nobody notices me. I'm not sure I understand. Well, I, I feel alone. I'm sorry to hear that. I'm here if you want to talk. Well, thanks. Don't mention it. I don't want you to raise your hands on this one, but do any of you feel like you have a relationship with someone who's got a lot of head knowledge going on? A lot of programming to say, oh yeah, I'll listen to you, but when it really comes to it, when you're expressing what's kind of coming from your heart, it kind of feels like, well, can we look it up on the web and see if we can figure it out together? So what do we do when we find ourselves stuck in this place of our head and it's hurting others or, or we find that actually our emotions are coming up, but they're coming up in different places that don't make a lot of sense to us? Well, we need to bring in the heart. We need to ask the question, what do I really feel about this? What are my feelings? And the problem is some of us could be so detached from our heart that we don't know how to discover the answer to that. Some of us might need to say, God, would you help me be able to recognize and name what feeling is rising up in me? See, here's why we're so practiced at staying in our head. Our head can be a safer place because the heart has the capacity to hurt and it's painful. And some of us have been practicing pushing down our heart and our emotions because we don't want to feel the pain. And if we want to move back towards center, back towards healthy, back towards this place where we're living with our head and our heart, we're going to have to acknowledge our heart. And acknowledging our heart might mean that we're going to have to sit with God with some of the things that have been painful. And yet if we don't, we become like Siri, programmed to have good answers. We've got our verses memorized. We've got our, we've got our evangelism set, but we don't actually have a personal connection with God or others because we don't know our own heart. We cannot give away what we don't have. We have to know our own heart in order to be able to connect with the heart of God and the hearts of others. And so we find that real faith has to be lived out with the head and the heart. When Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment is, in the book of Matthew, we see his answer. The Pharisees were trying to trip him up, so they said, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. 
You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. Friend, there is a false teaching out there. There's this belief in the world that Christianity means check your brain at the door and walk in and believe whatever it is that they tell you. That Christianity is not an intelligent faith, that it is not rooted on reason. There are those who would say that Christianity doesn't believe in science or can't have science. And I would say that the exact opposite is true. God has said that the greatest commandment is that as we love him, we love him with our mind. That we bring all of the intelligence he has given us, the intellect, the study all of the word that he has given us and we apply it to knowing him, to knowing his word, to knowing his will and his character and his kingdom in this world so that we can be his people living out real faith. We must engage our mind and yet we must also engage our heart. We must engage in the truth of his word, in the truth of our arguments, quite frankly, with humility and gentleness and tenderness, being ready to give an answer for the hope that he has given us because we know that we are his children. Read with me again, 1 John 5, verse one. Everyone who believes, that's head knowledge. When I was in middle school, I started taking Spanish and I learned that in Spanish there are two words for to know. One, is saber, head knowledge. The other one is conocer, heart knowledge. So if you're saying, I know the answers to this test, that's head knowledge. But if you're saying, I know this person, that's heart knowledge. I've met them, I have a knowledge of them, I know them, right? So everyone who believes, head knowledge, that Jesus is the Christ, has become, and this is where the miracle happens, Because when we believe, Holy Spirit enters in and he begins his work of transformation. And everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God, adopted into his family, known as a son, known as a daughter. This is the heart. This is the heart. Do you know that it says that God's spirit will speak to our spirit and testify that we are his children? That somewhere outside of the realm of what I can understand in my head and what I can grasp with my rational thinking is this truth that I am a child of God and his spirit speaks to my spirit and says that I am his child. That is heart knowledge. God is inviting us to head knowledge and to heart knowledge. Look with me if you still have your Bibles open at 1 John 5, starting in verse 20. And we know, head knowledge, that the Son of God has come and he has given us understanding. That's the miracle of the Holy Spirit and transformation. He has taken our head knowledge, our belief, and brought the Holy Spirit to bear and given us supernatural understanding so that we can know heart knowledge, the true God. And now we live in fellowship with the true God because we live in fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ. He is the only true God and he is eternal life. Do you see what happened? We know that the Son of God has come. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we now know him as a person. And because we know him as a person, we reiterate that he is the only true God and that he is eternal life. Back to what we teach and what we believe about who Jesus is. See, our head knowledge influences our heart knowledge. And then in turn, our heart knowledge solidifies our head knowledge. In 1 John 5, Verse, you know, what's kind of crazy is I can see the words, but I can't see the little numbers. 1 John 5, verse 13. 
I have written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. Our head knowledge turns into a confident knowing of the promises that God has for us. Real faith requires this head and this heart. I want to share a personal story for you of how this plays out because our faith isn't just about what is said in this room. Our faith is about what is lived out where the rubber meets the road on a day-to-day basis in the life that you and I have outside this building. Our faith is based on the experiences that we've had and then what is facing us today. So 20 years ago, my first nephew Isaac was born on October 25th, 1998. Jeff and I had been married about two months. Uh, We had seven nephews on Jeff's side of the family. This was the first uh, nephew on my side of the family. By the way, I don't have any nieces just in case that's an interesting fact. I have uh, nieces-in-law and I have a great niece, but I don't have any nieces. When I had my daughter, my sister-in-law wrote on the little whiteboard in the hospital, ha ha, you may have a daughter, but you still don't have a niece because I was the only one in the family to have a girl. So my first nephew was born, his name was Isaac, and when he was born, they didn't like his color. He was whisked away and within 24 hours was given a, a really turbo bubble, like with lots of buttons, ride up to a hospital in Portland. And when they got to Portland, they realized that he had a heart defect that was going to require open-heart surgery. And as you can imagine, we were all praying like nobody's business, and we were letting our churches know and letting our families know, and he was on every prayer chain. Literally, there were people all over the world praying for Isaac. At nine days old, Isaac was, um, had open-heart surgery that had a 95% success rate. But there was a complication in his surgery, and he dropped to 50-50. And over the next month, his heart and his kidneys got in a catch-22, and they couldn't treat the one without harming the other. And Isaac died at two months old on December 29, 1998. What do you do with your faith when you face a crisis, when you face a loss, when you have prayed and you didn't see God answer? Do you know 1 John chapter 5, verse 16, 14 And we are confident that he hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases him. And since we know he hears us when we make our requests, we also know that he will give us what we ask for. This seems to be a promise that if we pray according to what pleases God, he will give us what we asked for. We all asked for Isaac's life. Did it not please God? You guys, I'm not preaching right now on something that I really understand. I'm preaching on something that messed me up. Because I want to give an example of why we need our head and our heart. Because in that moment, my heart is broken. And my heart is asking questions like, why and how? And couldn't you have done it? But my head is asking questions like, if God says he will do this, then what was wrong with my prayer? Did God not want this? Or did I pray something wrong? Or did I not have enough faith? And my head gets wrapped up in this confusion. And my heart gets wrapped up in this ache and this pain. And what do we do with our faith? Do we walk away from our faith? Some people do. For me, the answer to my head came in the scripture that says, my ways are not your ways and my thoughts are not your thoughts. For my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And friends, I didn't like the answer, but the truth is there is mystery. There is mystery in following God. And I had to anchor myself to the truth that God is God and this hope that we have is eternal and what happens here on earth is not the last word and and continue to follow God because where else would I turn? Who else has the words of life? The words that are life, the words that are the person who is life. And for my heart, I began to realize that God has not promised us that we'd be free of trials and struggles and temptations, but he's promised us that he would be present 
And through that time, I sensed God present with me, being my comforter and my counselor. But everything that we walk through influences us, informs us. And fast forward to September of 2006 when my daughter Abigail is born. And at five months, we discover that she has a heart defect. And we drive up the same freeway to the same hospital to have open heart surgery with the same surgical group as operated on my nephew. What does faith do then? How does faith carry you in the midst of the unknown? My cardiologist said to me, uh, Jennifer, this surgery is the easiest one that a heart surgeon does. For a heart surgeon, this is like tying his shoe. And I'm like, yes, but you don't know my experience. You don't know where I've come from. You don't know what this unknown looks like. Where does God meet us? How do we have real faith that is strong enough to anchor us and carry us through the true storms of life when the storms are that big? And for me, again, Jesus met my mind by some new teaching on healing that I hadn't heard before, the parable of the persistent widow. Ask and ask and ask again that God has never offended us without continuing to ask and an awareness that we might not get breakthrough in this world, we might not understand why, but God is inviting us to bring our request to him and to ask and to ask again. And he met my heart, actually, as I cried in the shower one morning because the shower is the only place for a mom of three children to be in private. <laughs> and the thing I was struggling with was the, was the picture of my daughter on bypass, on a cold table with her heart cooled down, and I was just really, really struggling with that picture. And God met me in that moment, and he changed my picture because he showed me his hands holding my daughter, and his hands holding her, that she was never on the surgery table. She was always in his hands, and his hand's bringing her back to me. Now, we know this, this future now. We know that Abigail is fine. But in that moment, God met my head and my heart. That my faith might be the thing that could carry me through the storms of life. Real faith requires our head and our heart. So how do we do this? We've already talked about the ways that we do this. First, we need to intentionally include the opposite of our natural inclination. So if I'm a head person, I must invite God to help me recognize my own heart, bring my heart into it, ask how I'm feeling about this, interact with others on their feelings. And if I'm a heart person, I must bring in the truth. I must be asking God to remind me of the things that he's shown me before. I must be engaged in his word. I need to be plugged into a fellowship of believers that are teaching the truth. Because here's the deal. The truth, as we learn in our head, it's the plumb line that keeps us in line with God's eternal teaching. And yet our heart, it's the reality of relationship that keeps us in line with the nature and the character of God and what his kingdom is all about. We have to have both. So we intentionally include the opposite of our natural inclination. And we need to walk in humility with others. We need to recognize that within this room, there's probably a pretty even mix of head and heart people. And we need to quit taking our preferences and making them a prescription for what all of faith needs to look like, but walk humbly recognizing the value and the validity of a way of processing that's different than ours, of a way of experiencing faith that's different than ours, of a way of experiencing worship or approaching evangelism that's different than ours, and recognize that God has said, we need both of these in the body of Christ. Do you know that people leave church over time and sometimes they leave because the worship isn't good. Or sometimes they leave because the, script, the, the teaching isn't really super biblical. And I would say this, I suspect that the head people 
are leaving churches where the heart is more forward and the heart people are leaving churches where the head is more forward and we're dividing even across denominations where we've got our evangelicals who lean more into the word and teaching and apologetics. We've got our charismatics who lean more into the power of God and the evidence of his spirit and how this feels and the worship that really moves us into intimacy with God and we need both. We can't have a church that's divided. The body of Christ, the bride of Christ is both. And what I'd love to point out is I actually think Salem Alliance does a great job of this. When I look at the way that we lean into the head side of faith through our Bible study ministries, through the teaching here on the weekends, through Alpha, our course that's answering questions for new believers or, or people who are just exploring the faith, we're doing the head well. And then I look at our, our worship and our worship nights and our healing prayer team and, and recognizing God's voice seminar and, and the healing journey seminar. And I go, you know what? We're doing the heart well too. We're in a place that's doing head and heart well and we can celebrate that. So we need to intentionally include the opposite of our natural inclination. We need to walk humbly with each other. And really we need to abide. John 15 says, abide in me. We need to learn that place of being present with Jesus because here's what John says in John 8, 32. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You will know the truth, the words, the facts, the teaching that protect us from the deception of the enemy and you will know the truth, the person of Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. You will know the nature and the character of God and the truth will set you free. When we know the truth with both our head and our heart, that is the real faith where we become free. Let's pray. Father, you are good. And you created us with the full range of emotion, of feeling, of being created for relationship and for community, and yet the ability to think and process and reason. And those two are not in opposition to each other, but with you, with your Holy Spirit, they work together and we grow when we engage in both. And yet that can only come from you. So Lord, would you renew our minds and would you renew our hearts? And would you cause us to be people who walk in real faith, in the real freedom of knowing you with both our head and our heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Salem Alliance Church is a community of Jesus followers located in downtown Salem, Oregon. And we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. You can view today's entire service online at livestream.com backslash Salem Alliance.